On today's show, a busy week for the Atlanta Hawks, including the latest Quinn Snyder rumors as the potential head coach of the Hawks moving forward. And then at the end of the night, the Hawks picked up a very nice win over the Cavaliers in pretty lopsided fashion after a fantastic offensive performance in the first half in particular. We'll get into all that and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1419 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you deep into the night on a Friday evening into Saturday. And today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online, available to people worldwide. And they have a special offer for our listeners. 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash locked on. That's BetterHelp.com slash locked on. I also want to encourage you at the top of the podcast to make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out across podcast platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. As you probably know by now, I'm not my normal studio. So if you're a normal listener to the podcast, my apologies. I am on the road. If you're watching on YouTube, it's going to be more of a blank screen, audio-only experience on tonight's podcast. Some internet challenges, to be clear, and also just some audio stuff. So please forgive me for that. But I want to make sure I got a podcast to you because it's been a very, very busy time for the Atlanta Hawks. We're going to start the podcast in a second with the latest on Quinn Snyder, who is, uh, I think by all accounts, the front runner by a lot to be the next head coach of the Atlanta Hawks. Nothing official as I'm recording this podcast at about 11.40 p.m. Eastern time on Friday. But also later on in the show, we'll get into Joe Prunty's debut as the interim head coach of the Hawks. And one of the best offensive halves of the season for Atlanta, they scored 81 points in the first half on Friday night, including a 49-point second quarter, which shattered the team season high for any quarter this season. They were brilliant in this game, ended up winning this one going away by 17 points, but we're up as many as 30-plus in this one, and uh, back to 500 for the season. So we'll touch on that game as well, of course, later on in the podcast. But honestly, it has to be pretty big news for, the, for me not to open the show with the actual game, especially when it was a night that was a positive one for Atlanta across the board. But when there is a locked-on uh, potential, at least you know, front-runner at this point in time for the head coaching job, that is definitely a big organizational news that we have to start with on this podcast. So if you missed it earlier in the week, I've talked extensively about Nate McMillan's ouster, his dismissal, etc., some potential candidates along the way. I talked about Quinn Snyder on the last show on Wednesday, and I said near the end of that show that he would be the guy that I would be trying to hire and basically making him say no at this point in time. Quinn Snyder is, the, of course, the former Utah Jazz head coach, also a former Hawks assistant under Mike Budenholzer, very respected, uh, what in my mind was a top 10 coach in the league when he was operating in Utah, so a pretty accomplished guy. And since then, there's been a lot of reporting that indicates that he is, if nothing else, the clear front runner and could be hired in the very near future. In fact, when I listen to this podcast, it wouldn't like, stun me if he was already the coach by the time I listen to this over the weekend. I'm going to go back to the beginning of at least the last couple days on the reporting front. And Sham Sarania had it first that the Hawks began formal discussions with Quinn Snyder and that they were attempting to hire him swiftly during the season. This, this was as of Thursday. And also he reported there was a virtual meeting between the Hawks and Snyder on Wednesday. There's mutual interest between, between the two parties. And then from there, things picked up a lot on Friday. First, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported that the Hawks were progressing in talks on a deal with Snyder to have uh, that resolution be done within days at this point. And that he is now the full focus, is the way he described that, of the search for Atlanta. He's been engaging with Landry Fields and Corver and Tony Ressler on what Woj described as a wide range of philosophical and team-building items in recent days. And those are still happening now as of this weekend. He's not, he wasn't in the country as of the last couple of days, but they've been talking quite a bit since then. 
And also, the Hawks were reportedly, according to Woj, prepared to make a significant contractual commitment to Snyder, who's actually going to be, in my mind, and also in Woj's mind, the top coach available in the market over the summer. Obviously, Atlanta's going to be trying to strike first, as I discussed on that most recent podcast on Wednesday. Part of the advantage, and again, part, not all, not all, but part of the advantage of moving on from Nate McMillan now is that you can be the first mover on the market. And that can be overrated sometimes, but if you have a guy in particular like Quinn Snyder, who's available right now, you can talk to him freely and have that not, no worries about having it sort of get out and all that stuff and uh, go ahead and do that now, get, get ahead of the market and not wait for another, another opportunity that might um, sort of entice him away later on in the summer. Also, um, basically, uh, Woj described as the last thing I'll, I'll say here about that reporting was that the Hawks are, of course, trying to uh, sort of turn around this season in particular. But quote, the Hawks are more so determined to give Snyder a chance to start evaluating the team's personnel and collaborating on the baseline of a reshaped culture and program. End quote. Then more reporting happened on Friday evening, kind of right as the Hawks were about to start their game. Uh, both Shams and Woj, within about an hour of each other, did different TV appearances. Uh, Shams said the Hawks have offered the job to Snyder, and they're going through due diligence, at least uh, Snyder is on his end, and whether to accept it. But Shams said that he, there are strong signs, quote-unquote, that he'll accept the job, and it could be in the $8 million range. That's, uh, for me, anyway, I'm, this is me adding this, that's in the higher range of the, of the coaches around the league, I'll say. And then Woj said the Hawks want him uh, in place soon and are closing in on the deal about 7.30 p.m. And uh, Shams even went a, a step further on Twitter right after that by saying the Hawks are nearing a deal with Quinn Snyder. Again, that was about four hours ago as I'm recording this podcast. Keep that in mind. Uh, podcasts are not uh, fluid necessarily, so I'm recording at a certain time. But it seems like the Hawks are A, close to a deal with Quinn Snyder, and B, not quite there yet. So uh, I, I even got some replies today that were like almost assuming this was going to be done. I totally get that. It seems like it's probably going to be likely to happen in the coming days, but this is not official. No announcement, no even reporting that it's actually done at this stage. Okay, so from there, what does this all mean? Uh, I'll just say this now, as I talked about earlier, I am a fan of Quinn Snyder as far as, far as being the hire. I think their Hawks were going to have a hard time doing better than Quinn Snyder on the market this year. We'll do even more of this if he actually gets hired, but just for some background, he had great results in Utah. He won 58% of his games over eight seasons with the Jazz and more than 62% of his games over the last six seasons after sort of the first two-year transition period to build, kind of build up that roster. And then once they had the personnel, they kind of took off. Uh, he's very well-renowned tactically on offense, has, has talked about openly uh, building uh, an approach around the talent of the roster rather than actually relying on one system. That's a very important thing. The versatility and adaptability to build around a team is very, very strong. He is respected for cultural setting, which is something the Hawks definitely want at this point in time. And for me, again, like a top 10 coach in the league, at least on paper, I'm not flawless by any means, like nobody is, but certainly a guy that I think would be high on the list for me. We Number one on the list for me, honestly, unless you're trying to push somebody else's coach. And uh, I like the move quite a bit through that lens. Um, I will say, and we'll get into more of this a little bit later if we need to, if this actually gets done, but I want to go back through the last 20 years, and I've done that in, the, in recent days, and there basically has never been a team with as good of a record as the Hawks have right now at 500 to hire a coach externally this late into a season. Now, that's a lot of caveats, but generally speaking, when teams hire outside the organization, it's either really, really early in the season when you have a lot of time, or if it's later in the season, it's for a team that is basically in the wilderness and not playing well. This is 20 years of data where no team has been as good and as competitive as the Hawks are right now and still going outside this late in the season. So it's definitely uh, an odd situation. I do understand it for sure because Quinn Snyder is that good of a coach. It's, it's that appealing. And obviously the Hawks have some urgency here. You can argue whether they're trying to rush into this a little bit. But uh, obviously nothing's been done at this point in time. But if they were to hire him and have him start right away, it would basically be unprecedented. 
as, as far as the situation is concerned. Um, last couple things here before we move on to the game itself. Um, I speculated a little bit on Twitter this week, and I heard a little bit of buzz, just a little bit of buzz, uh, through the grapevine that the Hawks could be at least discussing the President of Bas- Basketball Operations title with Quinn Snyder. I am not reporting. I want to be very clear on that. Not reporting that it's happening or even, uh, I also want to note this, none of the reporting that's happened so far nationally has talked about Quinn getting that personnel power. But he might have the gravity to hold out for that as far as the negotiation is concerned. And we'll come back to it if that happens. I generally do not like coaches having front office say, at least as the number one guy, because it usually does not go very well. Um, Budenholzer in Atlanta is a recent example of that, as well as Doc Rivers and Tom Thibodeau and Stan Van Gundy. Generally, uh, outside of Popovich in San Antonio, where they also had a very, very strong GM in R.C. Buford, um, t- uh, coaches that have full autonomy with personnel do not do very well in the NBA, generally speaking. So I would try to avoid that if I want, if I could. But I also understand that if at least if you're Strider right now, you should be asking for the moon from Atlanta. In fact, Shams reported that the $8 million figure is you know definitely going to be in the mix for the Hawks. I'm not surprised by that. And by the way, that should be uh, encouraging. You know, Tony Ressler, I've not always loved what the Hawks have done in the front office and ownership in recent days. But if you are Tony Ressler and you want to get your guy... There's no, there's no salary cap for coaches. Go out and pay that guy. That's that's a good way to invest in the roster and uh, not be taxed for it. So I'm all about I'm all about that. And look, if you have to give it give him personnel power to get it done, I do understand that. Uh, and we'll come back to it more later on. It's just something that I at least uh, have heard and got asked about quite a bit in the last couple of days. And the other thing that was asked about was the compensation factor because um, I had heard a couple times that Snyder is still under contract with the Jazz. I know he kind of resigned, but it was a kind of a mutual parting of ways. And uh, Eric Walden, though, of the Salt Lake Tribune, who covers the Jazz full-time, reported on Friday that the Jazz are not going to hold that up. Essentially, the Jazz, it seems like, and I, I don't want to report this as, def- as, de- as definitive, but the Hawks basically could have had to, maybe not had to, but could have been in negotiation with the Jazz to maybe send a pick to Utah to kind of get over that. And um, basically just the way that it would work would be, because he's under contract, Utah could have potentially tried to push for a pick coming back. But it seems like that's not going to happen at this point in time, so no concerns there. And again, overall, I'll leave it here for now, but I would be thrilled as a Hawks fan to try to get your guy, Quinn Snyder. The transition, if it happens now, would be a little bit interesting to follow. But big picture, the more important thing for me is that this is obviously a a long-term investment and a guy who I do trust to be a very, very strong head coach and a guy who I think is proven to be good. And essentially... Uh, there's always a little bit of uncertainty with coaches, especially first-time coaches, if you want to go down that rabbit hole. But with Snyder, he has proven to be, over a six, eight-year period, a very good coach. And having that kind of security with your next hire is a very nice place to be if you are Atlanta. Okay, before we get to the game itself, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you're at your best, you can do great things. But sometimes, like that you bog down, you might be feeling overwhelmed or as if you're not showing up the way that you want to or need to. If that sounds like you at all, or if you're thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option for you. It is convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. And I have people personally, honestly, several people in my life who've been benefiting greatly from BetterHelp. And they're all different kinds of people, but they all found something that they really needed or wanted with BetterHelp. Fill out a brief questionnaire right now. It can match with a licensed therapist. If you need to switch therapists at any time with BetterHelp, you can do so with no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy could help get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on today. Get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on. Visit BetterHelp today. 
Today's show is brought to you by Nissan. Nissan's Most Electric Player of the Week is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. And this week's choice is going to be on Yaka Kongwu for his performance tonight against the Cavaliers in what became a big win for the Hawks, of course. And the Nissan Aria is brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, and also stunningly powerful, bringing an impressive combination of traits to the table. Kongwu mirrored all of that and was honestly just fantastic in the first half against Cleveland tonight, showcasing his entire versatility with regard to athleticism and impact and defense and just being all-around versatile and just fantastic in this one. Really like the Nissan Aria also is at this point in time. And these are the packs power, they'll pin you to your seat and also has premium intelligence all in one electric vehicle. The all new all electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. All right, we'll get into the game now and I'll be a little bit truncated with regard to how long I go on the game itself. I know that's not um, always great, but I will do what I can to get through it. Um, for background's sake, I'll just note that the Cavs were on the second round of a back-to-back, -back, so it wasn't a huge surprise that the Hawks were winning this game. Uh, in fact, our friends at FanDuel, who sponsor this podcast and do a fantastic job, had the Hawks as either a one-point underdog or a one-point favorite back and forth throughout the day. So you might have thought, you know, the Cavs are like, you know, I think it was like 10 games ahead of the Hawks coming into the standings. Um, tonight, you would have been a little bit surprised there. But I talked about it with Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs earlier this week. Basically, it was a tough spot for Cleveland in some ways. But I will say, Atlanta performed extremely well, and not even I will try to dampen down the um, excitement level on this night. I know a little bit, I'm, I'm uh, definitely going to give you some context, but uh, I will try my best not to uh, pour cold water on this one because it was a lot of fun. Hawks fans were certainly in their bags on Twitter <laughs> this evening, and it was a lot of fun to sort of monitor that. So, um, again, uh, as for context beyond that, John Collins missed this game. He was still in concussion protocol coming in. He was on the bench. That's a good sign. Also, on the coaching front, because Joe Prunty is, of course, the head coach at this moment in time, Nick Van Exel slid up from the behind the bench to the front of the bench role. Um, the Hawks have talked about, you know, if they weren't going to replace Prunty as far as the head coach is concerned, let's just say if it wasn't Snyder for now, they would have to kind of promote someone. Uh, I, don't, I don't think this is like an official promotion, but, you know, you could have as many as uh, coaches as you want on the, on the front, and it was Van Exel taking a step forward in this spot. Anyway, to the game itself, the real headliner was essentially that the Hawks were ridiculous, in the first half of this game, but we'll start here and kind of just go big picture down a little picture. And the offense was ordinary in the second half of this game, and they still ended up with a 132 offensive rating and 136 points against a pretty good defense in Cleveland. They had 97th percentile shooting efficiency in this game, the Hawks did. That was the number one reason for the success. Obviously, that's not fully sustainable, big picture, but a lot to like there as well. They shot 59% from the floor. 54% from three in this game, 21-23 at the free throw line. They had 72% true shooting. That is a ridiculous figure. And you know, as far as like approach is concerned, they ran a lot more pick and roll, which is something that I definitely wanted to see. You know, dating back to the Lloyd Pierce era, they were better offensively at times because just running more pick and roll, um, taking advantage of Trey Young's strengths, Jonathan Murray's strengths, etc. It took a lot of non-paint twos, but importantly, way more floater range shots and way fewer long twos. That's progress. That's an improvement in shot profile for this season. Also, they took 28 threes. That's not, that's not a ton, although they shot very, very well on them in this game. But Prunty, in an encouraging moment for me anyway, um, after the game said expressly that he wanted to see more threes. I love that because the Hawks should be taking more threes. They have personnel for it. And I think Nate's not necessarily built that way. So Prunty, with the approach there, I definitely like that. Um, they turned it, over, turned it over 14 times. That's not incredibly good, but it's totally fine. 24 fast break points as well. They pushed the ball intentionally in this game. It seemed like they were definitely trying to play fast. Now, a lot of teams say that, including Nate. And uh, the Hawks have tried to play faster at times this year, but they were certainly 
good at getting the ball and going in this spot. Even Prentice said about Jalen Johnson after the game that they were trying to encourage him to go ahead and do that sort of a teachable moment with him not pushing the ball at one point in time. They had 18% frequency in transition. That's a very good number. Not insanely high, but certainly better than where the Hawks have been this year overall. And the offense, as we'll get back back into later on in the in the podcast, the first half was just you know out of this world and obviously not repl- replicable, but the Hawks were good offensively in the entire game to the point where they had a pretty dreadful Second half at times on offense, um, including like a 10-minute period where they only scored seven points. <laughs> and they still put up huge numbers because they were that good in the first half. Defensively, they were not perfect by any means. Um, ended up with about 115 defensive rating. That's not great. They did a good job on the defensive glass, which is important in this one. They fouled too much. 29 free throw attempts from, from the Cavs. And they could not stop Darius Garland for most of this game. He was very good for Cleveland. But he was kind of the only guy that was, which is fine. You can live with that if you are the Hawks. And uh, that is very, very impressive in itself. All right, we'll go back to the beginning here and kind of go through this game and how it all transpired. They went to Sadiq Bay as a starting four in place of Collins. No surprise to me. I don't necessarily love that against a big team with Evan Mobley at the four, but they don't love to play Jalen Johnson with Capella, which I understand, and also uh, just kind of spread things out on offense, which definitely worked out in this game. Defensively, they, they tried to hide Trey on Isaac Okoro with some pretty good effectiveness. That kind of was what I thought was going to happen as in that podcast with Chris Manning earlier this week. And then they did a pretty good job pushing the pace early on, but the results early actually were not very good. It was kind of a frantic start on both ends of the floor for Atlanta and Cleveland in this game. The Hawks went two away from the floor and down 13-6 to at the outset of this game. They had some foul trouble with DeAndre Hunter, uh, etc. But again, if you just remember how good the Hawks were in this game, they actually started out very poorly on offense for about the first half of the first quarter. Uh, rotationally, no huge surprises. Now, it made it a little bit easier that John Collins was not available kind of giving the Hawks their very natural nine-man rotation with regard to Jalen Johnson returning to play in this one. A.J. Griffin, Akongwu, Bogdanovich, etc. Same stint for Trey Young, a quick rest in the middle of the first quarter. Um, They went to Jalen and Akongwu pretty early. Good to see that. They played some Sadiq Bay at the three. Um, I thought Collins uh, being out kind of made Jalen a lock to play, but it was good to see him still get out there and play well. He was immediately a a weapon in transition in this game, and then Akongwu was just brilliant in the first half, honestly. Um... They were leading by the middle of the quarter, and the Cavs couldn't make shots in their own right. Uh, Trey had a beautiful crossover against Karis LeVert that was uh, basically a sight to behold at that point. And the bench heavy unit in the first half with Trey plus bench or DeJounte plus bench was very, very effective. Akongwu was flying around, had two blocks in a row um, pretty much as soon as he came in the game. And they ended up going up by nine at the end of the first quarter on a 7-2 to run. They held the Cavs down to less than a point per possession that first quarter. They were ice cold, they executed well defensively, I thought Atlanta did. And they were notably aggressive getting out on the floor using that physicality and burst with that Jalen Johnson, Akongwu back court, uh, sorry, front court. That was good to see as well. Offensively, it got better as the things went on. Trey had 12 points, was in attack mode, and they had 18 points in the paint in that first quarter. Um, but the big sort of haymaker happened in the second where the Hawks scored 49 points. That is a ridiculous number. That's a season high for the Hawks in any quarter by a lot. Previous record was seven, was 42, so they shattered that in a big way. Opened things up right away, a 14-4 run to go up by 19 points, and Bogdanovich had his best stretch in a long time. He looked springy by his standards. He looked to be healthy, and he talked to the media at shoot-around, I believe it was, on Friday, um, talking about how he had enjoyed his break. And obviously, he was probably the perfect test case for a guy who needed a break because he's not been healthy all year long. He's been dragging his leg. He was hurt early in the season and also had to grind and grind and grind to get back and get healthy because he was rehabbing over the summer and even into the early part of the season. So 
Uh, he was off his feet for you know basically a week, and I think he looked the part. Obviously, how he responds to this will be important. But Bogey, I've been trying to people talk people off the ledge with Bogey and just say, look, he's still a valuable valuable player, even though he struggled this year. And if he's the guy he was tonight, Hawks are a different team because he is very good when he's got his legs. And we'll see if that sort of transpires as we move forward. But he was very good in that first half stint. Um, Hawks by 24 points. By the middle of the quarter, um, there was a weird situation where Evan Mobley tried to pass to himself off the backboard, and Okongwu stopped that in unit, in earnest. That was a fun moment. And the Hawks made basically every shot for like 10 minutes straight. Um, a lot of sports bureau had this via Hawks PR. The Hawks became the first team in the NBA since 2018, so five years, to make 15 straight shots in a quarter. The Hawks started the second quarter making their first 15 shots. That is just insane. Um, Murray made six in a row after he had a, had a pretty cold start. I think he missed his first five. Um, they used Edgar Griffin as a pick-and-roll threat. That was good to see. The Congo's stat line in the first half was insane. 14 minutes, eight points, nine rebounds, three assists, three blocks, two steals. Again, that's probably his best stint of his career in the regular season anyway. Just productive, flying around, making a huge impact. Um, they were up by 32 <laughs> with like a handful of minutes left in the first half. It did have a total disaster in the final minute or so of the second quarter. Give up an 8-0 run in 35 seconds, capped by a turnover and a buzzer-beating three by the Cavs. But still, even with that kind of mini hiccup that was kind of on brand for this year's Hawks, honestly, they were up by 24 points still at the break. And again, absurdity. I'll give you the numbers now. They scored 81 points on 53 possessions in the first half. That's more than a point and a half per trip. Season high in scoring in a half, season high in scoring in a quarter. And that came again with a slow start, in the, uh, in the first quarter, kind of craziness. Um, 40 points in the paint in the first half, 64% from the floor. The bench missed exactly one shot before halftime. One shot for the entire bench. One shot. Insane. Um, it shot 82% from the floor in the second quarter. 5-7 from three, 8 of it at the line. And Hawks PR said it was the first time any NBA team, any team, had scored at least 49 points with those shooting numbers or better in a quarter in at least 20 years. So that kind of just tells you how insanely hot they were. And yes, this is where I'm supposed to tell you, as I always would, this is not sustainable. And obviously the Hawks are going to be shooting this way moving forward. But it was just a lot of fun to watch, honestly. And I'll just leave it there for now. Second half, a lot less fun. The Cavs had uh, much more um, sort of gravity on offense in that point in that second half. Uh, my pal Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops pointed out on Twitter that the Cavs basically changed their entire approach offensively in the second half, and the Hawks took a little bit of time to adjust to that. It was better, though, because Clint Capella got it going. In the first half, it was all Kongwu, and I think he played a lot more than usual, with, rightly so. He was very good in that first half, whereas Capella had his best stretch in the third quarter. He had two blocks in a row to kind of push things up back to 27 points for the lead. He had a third block a few minutes later. He was everywhere in that third quarter in a really impressive way. Um, the Hawks did go up by 30 again, but the Hawks uh, wouldn't be a Hawks game without a little bit of threat. So Cleveland chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. And then in the fourth quarter, the Cavs opened up the, uh, opened up the court with, with a 12-0 run and had the lead down to 13 with plenty of time. Like this game was not over by any stretch of the imagination. The Hawks didn't score a point in the fourth until the 8-14 mark on uh, Trey free throws. And Atlanta had seven points in a 10-and-a-half-minute stint in between the third quarter and the fourth quarter. So the lights kind of went out on offense at that point in time. The bench unit flailed after dominating the first half. They were not good in the second half. Um, and honestly, it could have been worse. Chetty Osman, who is usually a Hawks killer, missed a wide-open three that would have cut the lead to 10. If they got to 10, it might have been a little bit of uh, nerves at that point in time. But from there, that didn't go in. The Hawks scored the next seven points, and it was basically 
back to 20, and it was kind of safe from there. Hilariously, they scored as many points in that in like 40 seconds to go back up by 20 than they had in the previous 10 minutes. It's <laughs> just a, one of those hot and cold runs from Atlanta. And it, it was essentially over when DeJounte Murray hit a three with about five minutes to go to go up from 17 up to 20. It was flatly over at that point in time. The bench came in late, and uh, it was kind of over from there. So again, I went from the takeaways earlier, just a strong performance on the whole for Atlanta in this game. Offensively, particularly in the first half, defensively was solid, not great, but solid enough, aggressive, and a, uh, a good win overall, even against a team on the back-to-back that like the uh, Cavs were. Um, to the individual players now before we get out of here on today's podcast, um, it was basically good for almost everyone in this one. We'll go to the bench as we always do. And Kongwu was our player of the week, of course, for Nissan. So shouts to Nissan and shouts to Kongwu. 13 points, 11 rebounds, 3 blocks, 2 steals, 2 assists in 25 minutes. He took 7 shots, made 6 of them. He was excellent in the first half. Not quite as good in the second half. Like That's totally fine. He was unsustainably good in the first half. But uh, a, good, a good reminder that he is very good when he has it going. And that was impressive to see him go head-to-head against Mobley and Jared Allen and more than hold his own. He was the best big in this game on the whole. And that was uh, really, really fun to see. AJ Griffin, nine points on seven shots. Wasn't like he had a huge game, but was totally fine. Ran to pick and roll, had two assists, uh, no turnovers, played solid enough defense. I thought, he, I thought he was good in this one. Jalen Johnson, seven points, four rebounds, had a steal and a block, and was plus 13 in his minutes. Um, same thing, first half better than the second half, but still totally fine. Good to see him playing. And uh, again, if you're if not one listening to the podcast recently, I would uh, certainly say that even when Collins is back, Jalen should be playing um, every game. Maybe not going to be playing playing a ton with Collins and Bay both available, but Jalen should be carving out a role every night if you are the Hawks to develop him and look toward the future. Other than that, uh, Bogdanovich was very good in the first half. Again, had ten points on five shots, two assists, two rebounds. Uh, only played twenty two minutes. That's totally fine. I think that. Taking a little bit of a more responsible approach with Bogdanovich's minutes is a good idea, keeping him fresh because he is so valuable when he's got it going. Um, and uh, that was good to see sort of that measured approach from these from the staff in this game. To the starters, um, Hunter probably had the worst game of anybody on the floor. It wasn't like he was bad. He had nine points on eight shots, three rebounds, had a steal. He was okay. It wasn't like he had, he had some foul trouble. Uh, he was probably the only guy who just didn't have the standout game at all, but he was even that was just fine. Capella had that big third quarter, 10 points, only played 21 minutes. Same thing as Bogdanovich. There's, there's some nights, especially when Okongwu is playing well, where you just don't have to push Capella. And even though I firmly believe that Capella is still very, very good, um, being a veteran that he is, if you can have Okongwu play more minutes, that's totally fine. Just for the betterment of the team, have Capella just kind of take it, on, take it on cruise control, and that was good to see in this game as well. Sadiq Bey had a big night, especially with the shooting. 19 points on 6-9 from the floor and hit five threes. His trigger was definitely flowing in this game as a three-point shooter. And I said this, uh, I believe, on Twitter to somebody today. But, you know, if you look at Sadiq Bay's profile dating back to Detroit, his most proven skill by a lot, like his safest, most projectable thing is his shooting and the fact that, and the fact that he will shoot and take threes. And I think that just having him be a catch-and-shoot guy is going to really make him better and make the Hawks better. And they, they used him that way in this game. He was plus 20. Defensively, he wasn't fantastic by any means, but he was okay. And three-point shooting is very, very valuable from Sadiq Bey. Uh, and then the backcourt. Uh, Murray had a weird night. He actually had a very bad first quarter and then was basically perfect from there. <laughs> 25 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. He was really in a groove after that and played extremely well. Uh, he was 9 of 13 on twos in this game. Didn't have a great three-point shooting night, but only, uh, still 2 of 6 and uh, plus 18. And then Trey was really good, I thought. 34 points, 9 assists 
on eight of, eight of 18 from the floor and four of seven from three. Only four of 11 on twos. It's kind of his one black mark, but he got to the line 15 times. Um, two turnovers for Trey, just a lot of good, responsible basketball from the backcourt, and they were certainly uh, in, in sort of an aggressive place, an aggressive mode, and playing very well. So we'll get out of here now, but I just will say, um, just to kind of stay on brand, the Hawks won't have the benefit of always shooting this well, and I think that you know there's been some... I think rightful celebration, and the Hawks will not just have every problem solved by McMillan not being there. I know that uh, I was not the biggest fan, and I, even that I was probably higher in than Hawks fans were, but it's one of those things where uh, this one game sample shouldn't change your entire viewpoint of the Hawks. But if you are like me, and I, you know, I've been saying this as well, there was every reason to believe the Hawks should be better than they've been so far. And I think this, you know, just having a new voice, having new energy, having the All-Star break to get rested and all that, uh, it was definitely a good night at the office. I thought just in particular, the offense moving more, um, being a little bit more aggressive with pick and roll, um, playing faster, all those things, taking more threes hopefully in the future. Um, they were good there. They were well-prepared in this game. And I thought that was just a complete performance from Atlanta. Um, you know, getting, getting Collins back will be good as well for the defense in particular. Uh, there was a thought out there that, you know, they were better without Collins. I never believe that at all. If you look at the numbers, the Hawks are always better when Collins plays. Um, and I think having him back at full strength would be good. But on this night, they played very well, and the shooting was good. And really, the Hawks just played a complete, impressive game, even with a couple of hiccups, because you can't be perfect over 48 minutes. I thought Atlanta came out of the break with as good a performance you could possibly ask for. And yeah, they're 30 and 30, and there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, the jokes are flowing. I totally get all that about them making the finals now and all that. But uh, you know, big picture, the Hawks played very well tonight. We'll see who the coach is moving forward, of course. Looks like it's probably going to be Quinn Snyder. But Joe Prunty, want to know. I thought he did a good job with the staff. Um, I thought he was pretty, uh, pretty candid and pretty interesting and the way that he talked about things both at practice this week and also after the game. And, uh, you know, Prenti's a qualified guy. I mean, it's not like he's going to change your life as a head coach in terms of his pedigree, but he's been around the league for a long time. He's an interim coach already once. Um, it's not a guy that you, that you just overlook. So uh, overall, a very nice night for the Hawks at the office. And then, of course, going back to Quinn Snyder at the top of the podcast, you know, if you can bring him in, uh, we'll see when that happens, if it happens, how much money it is, what his role is going to be. All that stuff will be answered in the coming days. But um, from here, the Hawks actually play a game on Sunday afternoon, a three o'clock game against the Nets on Sunday. Uh, by the way, Brooklyn, um, I think they have an interesting roster at this point in time, despite all of the trades from KD and stuff, but they got absolutely hammered tonight by the Bulls. 131 to 87 in Chicago. So I don't know if that's going to uh, sort of wake Brooklyn up and they'll be better on Sunday, but that'll be a interesting measuring stick game for Atlanta. Uh, the Nets are ahead of the Hawks in the standings. So if they win that game, that would actually close the gap there. Um, so lots of implications on that one. I will be back and uh, in my normal setup for that game. That'll be fun to see uh, overall for that particular contest. But as of right now, as I record this podcast at about midnight Eastern on uh, Friday into Saturday, the Hawks are back within two games of Miami. They are three and a half behind the Knicks. They are ahead of the Raptors by four, sorry, about by one. And they are behind the Ra sorry the Nets, who they play on Sunday, by four and a half games. So certainly an opportunity to uh, narrow that gap with a win on Sunday afternoon. And I'll have a full breakdown of that game as I always do. Please subscribe to the podcast across platforms. Apple, Spotify, we're also on Stitcher and Overcast and Google Play, and then we're also over at YouTube. Usually, if you're watching this podcast on YouTube right now, 
I will have some video of myself talking, <laughs> but on today's uh, today's podcast, we're going to go a little bit lo-fi. My apologies on that, but uh, I really appreciate all the support across platforms. Please leave five-star ratings and reviews. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter at BTRoland. Also follow my Patreon, patreon.com slash BTRoland. I do appreciate all the support after this very, very busy week with travel and all that stuff, as well as the Hawks just making news on a daily basis. So hopefully that will uh, sort of satiate the appetite of uh, Hawks fans at this point in time. We'll be back again with more after the game on Sunday. One more time, thanks for listening to the podcast, everybody, and we'll see you all next time.